0: Thanks for coming. What a great day. What a great day. All of the words that the Lord could have chosen to describe himself. There is one word that always stands out. Father. Father. Our Father. Heart and head. So, I hope you've had a good experience with your dad. Because I've had an amazing dad. And it was... Because of that great dad that I had here, I have a good relationship with my heavenly father. And uh, so thank you for coming. This is the book of Jonah, chapter one and verse five. And then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship Into the sea to lighten it of them, but Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. That's my wife right there, fast asleep. My wife lays down and pow, and I'm just looking at her like, "How do you do that?" And she says, "Perfect peace have them that love thy law." And I want to speak to you simply on the word priorities. God bless you. You may be seated. You know, Jesus said, my word is spirit and life. And if you have trafficked in the Bible at all, you have found it. It's it's not like any other book, you know, nonfiction, biography, whatever. It's not like it. It's, it's a living thing. So I, I have two Bibles. They're both the same. Uh, and and one of them I write in, color in, I underline stuff, and I'll write stuff on the edges. But one of the other one I don't, because I found that when I'm reading the one uh, that I have written in, whenever I come to a verse that I underscored, that my mind is always drawn to what I saw the last time, and so I don't get. I think okay, I've got this verse figured out, and you kind of check the box and go on to the next one. But with the other one that doesn't have anything written in it, it amazes me that these verses that I thought I pretty much had got to the bottom of it, all of a sudden something new comes out of it that I never saw before. And that's just one way to me that it's a living thing. And I know there are lots of lessons that you can get out of 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 Scripture's, but it, it seems to me that when you study the context of, of what Jesus is teaching, there is one dominant theme or lesson that he's trying to get across. And um, it just amazes me how many times I think people miss the lesson. Um, Luke 15 is a perfect example. There, there are three parables that Jesus taught. Oh, it's only in the book of Luke, nowhere else. First of all, he taught what was called the lost sheep. Right after that, he gives the uh, parable of the lost coin that was lost in the house. And then the last parable is the prodigal or the lost son. I think it can be a picture of the same person. Uh, uh, Somebody who was lost and they were in trouble. I... You know, I, I think there are people there that are like the lost sheep. They, they, uh, the Lord found them and put them in a good barn, put them in a good church. And, uh, uh, but I've seen over the years some of those very same people that were rescued from very horrible circumstances um, walk away from from the Lord and from church. Um, but it doesn't happen overnight it's a, it's a progress and i think that's the story of the lost coin it didn't lose it outside it got lost in the house and i've seen people lose out with god in church they just you can see the signs are there um i've never been a money preacher but uh i've said for years give me two things give me your checkbook and give me your calendar and i'll tell you who your god is what do you do with your time and what do you do with your money? I'll, I know who you worship. And um, if basic righteousness doesn't extend to your pocketbook, then, you know, Bible said, you know, that where your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So if you consider serving God a treasure, um, you're going to put some money in the pot. It's as simple as that. And uh, you know I've never been a money preacher. I've never... Uh, ever extorted you or I've never I've always saw to it that the church's bills were paid before my own bills were paid and God's blessed us. And I'm grateful for that. But I, I see people, you know, their their giving falls off, their attendance falls off, they're not around the altar, they miss prayer. They just after a while they're gone. But but didn't happen. To, it just they get lost in church. And and then some of those people make their way back. And, um, uh, story of the prodigal son took his, lost everything. He's in a pig pen fighting with hogs over the scraps. And, it, and there's this great verse that said, he came to himself. Came to himself. And, um, uh, I, I had a bad experience years ago. Someone that was very faithful here and they left. And then I was, I hadn't seen them for, I don't know, a couple of years. And all of a sudden, one day, they just came into my office, just came into my office. And I said, hey, it's great to see you. And they just looked at me and said, first of all, let me explain one thing to you. Don't think that just because I'm in your office, I'm coming back to this church. I'm not come, ever coming back to this church. I said, okay. Uh, they said, I'm just here to ask you one question. Why didn't you come after me? I sat in my house for over a year and told my family, "Pastor Hopkins coming," and when he comes back to our house, I'll go back to church. And he said, "You never came," and he said, "I always resented you for that." And he said, "I, I just, I just came here to want to. I want to know why you." I said, "That's a very easy answer, question to answer." I said, you, "You, you weren't the lost sheep. You're the lost son." And he said, what do you mean by that? I said, if, if you had never known the Lord, I'll, I'll chase you down till you drop. But I said, you're not, you're proven right now. The only way you're going to come back to church or come back to God, you got to come to yourself. You have to have an, an awareness that says... He said... My servants in my father's house eat better than this. You know, uh, we used to have a, a guy here. He, he, uh, he walked away from the Lord and joined a motorcycle club. And then, then he came back after a couple years. And, and, and I asked him, I said, well, why'd you come back? He said, I was in this, what they call a clubhouse. He said, a lot of booze, a lot of things going on. He said, they started making fun of people talking in tongues while they were drunk. And he said, I'm laying on this couch in this drunken stupor. And this little voice inside of me said, Holy Ghost was better than this. And he said, I was right. said, and so I see people, they were lost. The Lord finds them. They get in a church. Then they get cold. They leave and come to themselves and come back. But when you read the story of the prodigal son, I don't think the lesson, when you read the context, I don't think the lesson was just about the prodigal son. It's about the older brother. Because when, 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 when the, when the prodigal said the, the father saw him a long way off, I, I love that verse because I think that's what, I think the Lord Sees us before anybody else sees it. He sees a long way before anybody else does. And it said the father ran, took his robe, wrapped around the, this, this kid stinks like a sewer. But he wraps his robe around him, takes his shoes off and puts them on his muddy old nasty feet. And then it said he took his ring, took his ring and put it on his hand. Now, that doesn't mean to a lot of people, unless you study the culture. There's a terrible story in Genesis 38. It's a story of Joseph's brother Judah. And uh, he, he had an affair with his own daughter-in-law. And, um, and, and she dupes him. She acts like a prostitute. And, and, and uh, he, he doesn't have money to pay her for services rendered. So he gives her his staff and his ring. When he comes back the next day to pay her, hoping to get his staff back in his ring, she's gone. And so a couple months later, they, you know, they say, you know, Tamar, who was the widow of one of his sons, said Tamar's pregnant. And he said, well, we're going to stone her. And uh, um, so right before they get ready to stone stoner, he says, would you at least tell us, do you have any idea who the dad is? And she goes, oh, yeah. She says, uh, you recognize this ring? And I got your staff in my house. It was a bad day for old Judah. Bad day. <laughs> I uh, think about that ring. When I lived in Japan, you could purchase something called a hanko. It It was... Most of the time it was plastic. If you had a little bit more money, you could get bone or even ivory. But you could have your initials in and in your own personal seal inscribed on the bottom of this little stamp. And you didn't have to sign papers. You just took out your honko. You took out your stamp and you stamped that document and it was registered with 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 the government, kind of like our Secretary of State, and it was as valid as your signature. This is what's talking about. When that father put his ring, his signet ring, on, on that boy, he's basically telling that boy, "You, you're mine. I, I'm putting my name on you." Uh, Sunday after Sunday, it it it's just amazes me. I never tell Draylen what I'm going to preach. Never. And yet, I listen to these songs that he sung today. <laughs> Jesus confronted a guy called the demoniac of Gadara. What's your name? Legion, because we're many. I never did believe Jesus was talking to the devils. I always thought he was talking to the man. What's your name? But before the man can tell Jesus his name his problems burglarize the conversation and he is identified with with what's got it what's got him bound would you, would you please listen to me don't let your problems become your identity please I I've met people well I'm divorced I some one time uh, some 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 one told me well I'm divorced pastor like that was the nail in the coffin I I had a pastor one time so mad at me because I married someone that had been divorced in their past and he said I don't marry anybody that's ever been divorced and I said well you're stupid and and I said six out of ten people in America have been divorced are you telling me you want nothing to do with two-thirds of America? I do. And he said, well, God hates divorce. I said, well, he is. I told a person, I've been divorced. I said, well, so is Jesus. And they said, what do you say? The Bible said he divorced Israel. And he put the church in their place. And when the church is gone, it turned back to Israel. I'm not justifying divorce because nobody wins in a divorce. I, 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 Renee and I and others try and tuck people out of it. Yes, you can fix a certain amount of problems by getting rid of a man or a woman, but it's gonna create a whole new set of problems. You know, and if you really, if you're apostolic and you really believe that Bible, there's it's not an option. You just somehow try and work through it if you can. But I understand that people not interested, it's AM, FM, I, I get it. But 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 don't let that be your identity. You know, dream and do dream. You know, I've declared bankruptcy. I found that I read one time that most millionaires have declared bankruptcy three times before they hit it. They just kept on going. Here's the prodigal son comes home. They got a party and here's the older brother saying, you never threw a party for me. I've been here faithful. I never missed church. I never missed prayer meeting. I, I, I put that white envelope in a plate all the time and I paid online with the app. You never gave me a party. And, and I think that's what Jesus was talking about. It wasn't just about the prodigal son. It was the self-righteous attitude of the elder brother when when that guy did come back. Because what he's saying is, he spent all of his stuff. You still got all of your stuff and me. And <laughs> it, it's just, the Bible said angels rejoice when somebody repents. And Pentecostals always have the short-sighted approach to that oh, that means with some sinner with all kinds of tattoos and a wallet with a chain finally makes her way to the altar and starts crying, you know, you know, it's it's you know got that you know when I was, I was a hillbilly kid, all my pals had a round uh, uh, like a faded patch in the back of their jeans because that's where they had their their snuff, the can, you know, snuff. So when somebody comes to the altar, got snuff can plus a wallet with a chain, plus tattoos, bad sinners. They repent, angels rejoice. It doesn't say that. Angels rejoice every time somebody repents. That's you and me. When you've been around here a long time, but you're still smart enough to repent, angels rejoice. That's a full-time job, that repentance stuff. And, and, and I, 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 guess if there's one thing about this church that I've loved, I think you've, we've done a good job with this. That when somebody comes back, we don't look at them like, ah, right, decided to come back, huh? Sit in the back for six months, put you on probation, you know, jump through the hoops, you know, that drew growth track again. I want to thank John and Brother Blessing. My family, my home has been very happy because I got a daughter just done this growth track thing. She got to wear a T-shirt today. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> I came here this morning and Sister Sailor's at the door with a fit shirt on. You know? 90 years old. On the... <laughs> I love that stuff. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. This is a good place to go to heaven from. That should always be our attitude. Come on. We got a party here. Don't let all these vittles go to waste. Hallelujah. (laughs) Listen to this verse. Here's John 1 and verse 42. And he brought him to Jesus. This is, you know, you, you got Andrew, who is Peter's brother. He brings his, I wish I had time to show you how many brothers and family there was involved in the disciples of Jesus. It's amazing how, how much, how many kin, how much kin's going on here. But Andrew brings his brother, Simon Peter, to Jesus. And Jesus said, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shall be called Cephas which is by interpretation of stone. He changed his name and basically said, this, this is what I'm going to call you. And it, 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 I, when you read the writings of Paul, I've, I found four verses. Paul took this real serious because he never refers to him as Peter. Here's 1 Corinthians 1 and 12. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. This is, this is the church with all these gifts, you know? You read, you come behind in no gift. That's what he said. But in chapter three, he said, I'd like to speak to you under spiritual, but I can't. You're carnal. You're babes in Christ. And one of the reasons is this. They're divided. Someone said, nah, Paul's my pastor. Others said, oh, no, 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 Apollos. You should hear Apollos preach. He's the best preacher in the history of the oneness movement. He'd dip his tongue in a rainbow. Apollos, that's, that's the guy that I want. And others said, well, no, 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 Cephas, Cephas. He, he preached about hogs and dogs. He just gets down to where you live. That's my kind of guy. And he, here's, here's 1 Corinthians 3 and 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. 1 Corinthians 9 and 5. Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brother of the Lord and Cephas? And finally, of course, Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter He talked about all the people that saw the resurrected Christ. And in verse 5 said, and he was seen of Cephas and then of the 12. Paul refers to him with the name that Jesus gave to him. I think it was last week I did it. If it wasn't, it was the week before. I refer to it very frequently because it's so real to me. I was talking about Corinthians 15 or Acts 15. Acts 15 is the first fight in the New Testament church. And it's 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 over racism. It's not a black and white thing. It's a it's a Jew and everybody else thing. I I I I was going to buy one of these hats recently. Said Detroit versus everybody. (laughs) And it's here. These Jews are upset because people are flooding. They should be tickled to death. That the gospel is so effective, but boy are they upset, dude, because there's all these people coming in in into church, not not Jews. Kind of like some old reprobate Pentecostal out there, and all of a sudden some kids coming into the parking lot going. You know. Curb feelers, leopard skin, seat covers, you know. And then parks in his parking spot or sits in his bench pew. First thing I ever did when I was a pastor of this church in the old church, every pew had a little plaque on the back. This pew was purchased by this family, and the family sat in their pew. Second Sunday, I was everywhere. I had a paper bag. I said, you know what these are? And I took them things out, and I'm dropping it, and they're going, Oh, Jesus, he took, off the, he took the brass plaques off the pews. I said, you don't own no pews here. We dedicated this to Jesus. That's what we did. Now, if you if you thought it was yours, you should have took it before we dedicated it. Because now that we dedicate it, nobody owns anything in it. It belongs to the Lord. How dare you sit in my pew. And it, it, it explodes in Acts 15. And, and remember, you read the word circumcision in the Bible. But in Colossians, Paul said, beware of the concision. Not circumcision, concision. See, the word circumcision means surgical procedure. But concision, the best way to translate concision is mutilation. It's the difference between having a, a surgeon with a scalpel and one with a dull axe. And, and, and what, what Paul is saying is there are people That are going to mutilate the gospel. I call them the word people. (laughs) You know what the Bible said, the letter killeth. I've seen people use the Bible to hurt people. You ever seen that? I've seen that. I was in Georgia, taught a Bible study to this precious man and his wife. She was a lawyer. He was a lawyer. She was a paralegal. I remember I met the, I met a woman in a grocery store Diana Moosey who owned a, who owned a magazine a publishing company and and witnessed to her in a grocery store and she said would you come to my house and teach me I said yes when I got there her whole living room was full of people and 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 one of them was was this amazing man and his wife and and it, you know Charles Stanley that was First Baptist Church of Atlanta that was the largest church second largest church was Rehoboth Baptist and I had the, the administrative pastor and his wife from Rehoboth Baptist there. And right in the middle of my Bible study, he starts bawling his eyeballs out. He said, I see it. I see it. We need to get baptized. So we, we, in the little church we, we were back then, you, you, you had to go outside and through the parking lot, come up the stairs to get to the baptistry. So I got there. I told him, bring a change of clothes. And they came, and I had their ch- I said, now, I'm going to take these to the changing room. You go into the service. When it's time, I'll come get you. We'll go back, change our clothes, and we'll get baptized. Okay. So they go into church. I'm outside in the parking lot, and I trip, and I dump their clothes on the parking lot. He has a pair of black Speedos. She has a black string bikini. That's their baptismal clothes. And, and he was handsome and she was easy on the eyes. And I looked at that in absolute horror saying, Oh Jesus, what am I going to do now? And then I had this very terrible thought because we had some real hypocrites in that church, I'm going to let them do it. And I'm going to see them walking down into Baptist street, crying their eyeballs out, Oh Jesus. And them hypocrites just going out of their mind. But I couldn't stand it. So I ran down to Walmart, bought him a pair of coveralls, bought her stuff. We baptized them. They get baptized. I go to take them waders off, which everybody used to wear, which I hated. <laughs> I remember the first time I was a young preacher and Jeff, not Jab Jabbo Green's brother. And the two Green, well, anyway... He, he said, do you ever baptize anybody? I said, no. He said, would you like to? I said, oh, yeah, sure. He said, well, go get them waiters on and get in the baptistry. So I get in the baptistry, and the largest woman in the history of the oneness movement comes out of the changing room. I'm talking 400 plus here. And I look at him, and he's laughing his rear off at me. And he says, make sure you keep your elbow by your leg. That way you'll have leverage to pull her up. Okay. I got her right there, and I dropped her. She's in the bottom of the baptistry going. Three of the ushers had to jump into the baptistry to help me pull her out. And she's going. I said, well, as long as bubbles came up, I thought that was sins, you know. (laughs) I'm changing my waiters after baptizing this man and his wife. I didn't get out there in time. And this old man comes out, and he grabs my brand baby, my brand new baby. Three months of Bible study. He said, you got to shave that beard off or you're going to hell. Gone. Lost him. Next night's prayer meeting. He's on the front row. He's got his big Bible opened. Shoes are off because he's on holy ground. Got his handkerchief hitting the Bible, talking in
1: tongues.
0: And I went back to the second pew and I put my arms over the back of the pew and I said, "Brother Alvin, can you hear me?" And he opens up one eye. I said, "Can you hear me, Brother Alvin?" Talking in tongues, man, it's good. I said, Brother Alvin, if you ever do that again, I'm going to kick you in the butt so hard, you're going to taste shoe leather for six months. And he stopped and he said, I don't believe a man of God ought to talk to anybody like that, brother. I said, Let me tell you what Jesus said about people like you. I ought to go get a big rock and take you down to the lake and drown your hopeless rear out there because you just killed a baby. It'd be better if you were buried with a rock around your neck than to offend the least of these little ones. I was furious. I, I, I've just seen people mean, and it infuriates me. Just sit there at the party, and you couldn't possibly be happy because somebody else finally came to themselves and came back to the Father. Guard against that attitude. It's just Jesus.
1: Wow.
0: And so I read this verse. Acts 15. Here's Acts 15 and verse. See, in Acts 15, they're all fighting because their people said, "We'll let you join our church, but you got to get circumcised, and you can't eat no shrimp either, no rabbits. You know, on on all the dietary laws." Peter said, "You know, guys, I guess I'm the problem. I'm the one that went to Cornelius's house. I'm sorry, but James stands up." half-brother of Jesus. Listen to what James said. He said, after they held their peace, James answered saying, hey, brethren, hearken unto me. Watch. Simon, Simeon, Simon Peter hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people. And I always wondered, Why did you do that? Why did you have to bring up his past? Why couldn't you call him Cephas? Why couldn't you call him what Jesus called him? Because he's still got this thing in his craw. I'm never going to forget what you used to be. Here's what fascinates me. You don't ever read of Peter anymore. He's gone. He disappears out of the book of Acts. There's one reference I found. It's in the book of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. And when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul said, I withstood him to his face. Because as I've taught you, they were not called Christians first at Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church was all Jews. They were called Christians first at Antioch in Syria because it's the first interracial New Testament church. No ghetto in the New Jerusalem. Ain't going to be no eight mile in heaven. And this is years later. They have this massive harvest in Antioch, and Peter comes with the concision. Peter, Paul said, beware of the concision, beware of dogs. Peter shows up with the Judaizers, mad because Paul is calling these men his brothers and his sisters, and this is what Paul said, I withstood him to the face. I got right in his grill and said, hush your mouth. Don't you dare talk about these people like that. This is the last reference you have about Peter. His ministry stops in Acts 15. The Lord asks his half-brother to write a book. Most, a lot of people don't know this. The first book that was mass-distributed in the early church was the book of James. So the Lord asks his half-brother to have the honor of writing the first book that's mass-distributed in the early church. But he said, you don't get to write about anything you want. I'm going to tell you what to write on. You're going to write on the tongue. You're going to write five chapters about the power of the words that come out of your mouth because you quite possibly stopped the ministry of one of the greatest men anywhere in the Bible because you kept bringing up his past and you wouldn't let it go. Live in tomorrow. Stay away from yesterday. Let God be the God that was. You let him handle your rearview mirror. But for goodness sakes, folks, what are you going to do if someone that you've just hated just comes and repents? What are you going to i tell you what you, we better do. We're glad you're on board, Bubba. Let's go to heaven together. <laughs> I, I think that's what you ought to do. Listen, listen, listen. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship. See, I've heard all, I've never heard ever anybody preach about this. Everybody preaches about Jonah. I've never heard anybody preach about the other guys on the ship. Because this is what went on. There's guys on this ship that have invested everything they own in the the wares, the crates, they, they, whether it's produce or pottery that the, him and his wife made in the back, they've got their whole life in these crates. They're going to go across the sea, sell them on another market, make enough money to buy something and bring it back home and sell something there that they didn't have and bring something home that they didn't have. And all I see these guys come home and their wives are saying, so how do we do? And he says, well, I got some good news and bad news. Good news is I'm still alive. Aren't you glad about that? Bad news is uh, we had to throw all the stuff over the side of the boat. What? We didn't make no money, honey. We're not going to make the mortgage payment this month. We threw the wares over the side of the ship. And finally, after throwing away all this great stuff, They finally got this bum down in the bottom of the ship. And when they throw Jonah out, fish swallows him, the sea goes, whew, and they're going, shit, man, we should have kept the boxes. It's Father's Day. I'm here to teach you about priorities. Don't throw the good stuff out of your life. Be able to identify what's causing the storm. What's messing things up? Throw that out of your life. Don't walk away from the Lord. I, I, I've, I've seen women through Pastor this Church. I, I've seen women. Would you please pray? God, give me a baby. And God does. And then all of a sudden, they're missing Bible class. And I'm going, well, what are you, what's going on? Hey, they got to get to sleep. They got to go to school. And I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You ask God for a baby. And now you're using that God given baby as an excuse not to come to the house of the very God that gave you the baby? You're throwing out the wrong thing. I I I I have seen I've seen boys walk away from God for a girl. For a girl. I've seen girls walk away for a boy. They're, 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 just just I'll give you an example. I had the magnificent privilege to pastor this girl named Stacy Hill. Amazing girl. The the most perfect girl any pastor has ever pastored, Stacy Hill. Now, I've been blessed to have several after that, men and women, but she was my first. And so here's Stacy Hill, senior class president, student body president, National Honor Society president, homecoming queen. She ran the table, all the while being a wonderful, modest, apostolic girl. And she comes to me and she says, now, Pastor, I know you don't want us to go to the prom, and 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 but it's tradition for the homecoming queen to cut the ribbon and open the prom. She said, this is what I'll do. I'll cut the ribbon and then I'll come home. And I said, oh, no, 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 you're going to the prom. And she she said, why? why, why would you let me go to the prom and you won't let them others? I said, cause I trust you, you'll keep your clothes on. You won't go to one of them stupid hotel rooms, which usually one of the other students' parents rented. I mean, it's nuts what goes on on prom night. Pastor, you're a dinosaur. No, I'm not, I just respect flesh. So they bought her this beautiful gown. Youth pastor took her to the prom. Big old long basketball center comes up. She's pouring punch. Would you like to dance? Now, why don't we just sit down here and talk? Okay. So they sit and talk for a while. After a while, David said, well, let's go dance. And she goes, no, no, no. Just, I'm enjoying it. He laughed. and said, you don't dance you?" She goes, no, I, I don't. And he said, well, well, can, can, can we go on a date? And she said, well, here's how it's going to work. You come to church with me on Sunday, me and my pastor, we'll go out with the youth group after church on Sunday night. He said, go. Cool. He's got no idea. He's never been in Pentecost before. Comes here on a Sunday night. That's his first experience. Goes out with the young people. It's camp meeting that week, youth camp. Now, youth camps are wild and woolly, man. It's crazy. I would have never let them kids take a brand new guy like that to a camp meeting. They took David to camp meeting, all of a sudden they get a call, Pastor they've got the Holy Ghost tonight at camp, in self-defense. <laughs> Going to college, full ride scholarship. Gets convicted about shorts. I never said nothing to him. He tells his coach, I wanna play in, in 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 um, warm-up pants. Coach says, I don't care what you're playing, you're so good, we just want you to play. And all, and then other parents started complaining. You, David, you're gonna have to dress like Air else. He said, Okay, I quit. And I'm going, no. no! You don't walk away from a full ride. Quit basketball, but for God's sake, don't quit college. His dad gets mad at me. His dad came and visited me. Dad's got no, he said, do you have any idea how much that was worth? Hmm. Guess what? To my knowledge, David Mize still doesn't have a degree, but he just keeps getting promoted again and again and again and again and again. And, again. and when you leave this service today, there it is in the lobby. David and Stacy have been over our children's ministry for years. I, I tell them, listen, don't, don't, don't get rubber a callous on your brain. This mother's day, just do what you did three mother's days ago. It was great. People were glad about that. No, for years, I wish I knew how many years, every year they got something. And today's no different. I'm in there yesterday. And I'm like, I said, I didn't know there were that many potato chips on the planet. And every one of you dads could choose your bag when you leave here. But when you go there, it looks like wallpaper. It's not wallpaper. For hours, they scanned potato chip bags and made their own wallpaper so that when you come out of here, it looks like a million bucks. It all started because of this girl that would stick to her principles and say, I'm not gonna violate my walk with God just because you're the center on the basketball team. (laughs) But I can't tell you over the years, wait a minute. I can't tell you how many times over the years other girls said, Well, you like Stacey Baird, the a guy didn't have the Holy Ghost. Not to my knowledge, he got the Holy Ghost like one day after he came to church. But the reason this is because I trusted her. I trusted her. Come on, young man. The Bible said, What fellowship does light have with darkness? Wait, wait what's Belial have in common with Jesus? You got to get your priorities right. (laughs) Serving God is not something you prostitute on an altar, just cause she's pretty. You're going to be married to someone that's AM and FM. I'm telling, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. Satan will always send you something that's almost perfect, almost. She's beautiful, got a nice family. They got money. Uh, they don't go to church. I tell people all the time, we're going to get you a, I tell girls, we're going to get you a handsome, wealthy, godly man. However, the wealthy and handsome might be optional. (laughs) I know there's going to be sparks. I'm not stupid. I didn't marry some dog-faced woman. I get it. But listen to me, listen to me. If you're a man, there's absolutely no excuse for you not to have a great woman in Pentecost. Dude, we got amazing women in Pentecost. I feel sorry for the women because I don't see enough strong men. America's weak because she has weak churches. Churches are weak because they have weak families. Families are weak because they have non-existent dads. If we can fix the father problem, we can fix the family. We can fix the church. We might even fix this broken down thing called the U.S. of A. It starts with fathers. Godly men. And that ain't gonna happen just when you get the ring on or get the wedding ceremony. It's gotta start now, young sir. That's why I'm so optimistic about so many of our young men that are in prayer meeting. Don't have to be here, but they're here. That gives me hope. Why? He's gonna be a good husband. He's gonna be a good daddy. He's gonna be a good example. Don't throw the Lord out to lighten your storm. Jesus' name. Paul said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life. I read that and I'm going, wow. Do you know there are people that are probably going to lose out with God just because of living? Just the very act of life. Got to get your groceries, got to cut the grass, got to go to work, got to do this. Don't let living Separate you from the love of God. Amen. I have a dear friend, his name is Stan Gleason. I, I want him to preach for you. He's just so busy, I hate to even ask him, but I'll bring him, he, he's great, God. He told me a story that amazed me. Great Depression started in 1929. In the middle of... Of the Great 1931, in the middle of the Great Depression, his grandfather, a man named Turner Gleason, got a call from a barrister, a lawyer from England. He said, uh, Mr. Gleason, we've been looking for you for quite a while. You're the only surviving heir of this aristocratic gentleman. Mr Gleason, you inherited it all. You get the ancestral estate with all the acreage. $3 million is yours. There's just one catch. you got to live in the house one year. After one year, you can sell the house, you can do anything you want to with the land, but you got to live in the house in England for one year. And Turner Gleason, for six months, wrote letters trying to find a decent church For him to take his four kids. Couldn't find a church anywhere close. And he called the lawyer back and said, Give the money to charity. I'm not coming. Wouldn't tell anybody what he did. The ones that knew thought he was out of his mind. But I just talked to Stan to make sure my story's straight. And today, 91 years later. He said, Harold, as near as we can tell, we have 89 family members that were either pastors or pastors' wives or missionaries or the wives of workers in the kingdom because my grandpa said, ain't selling out for money. And so I gave this a couple years ago. I need to tell it to you again. This is the prayer at my funeral. Now that I have gone to God, bury my body, but don't bury my love. Bury my eyes, but please don't ever forget my vision. Bury my feet, but don't forget the path that I have walked. Bury my hands, but not the efforts my hands have held. Bury my shoulders, but not the concern I carried them with. Bury my voice, but not the message that I preached. Bury my mind, but please don't bury my dreams. Bury me, but please don't bury my life. If you must bury something, bury my sins. And bury my weaknesses, but let my love for First Church always be remembered and carried on. So, Sajith, if you're here, I know it's tough to do. They won't allow you to bury my body here, but you get Sajith or whoever's a doctor then, and you get my heart, and you bury it somewhere on this property because it's where my heart's been. Something, something wonderful happened last week. There was a man named Forrest Finn. Forrest was a wealthy uh, antique collector. He collected... Memorabilia from from Indian tribes. Thank you. He collected memorabilia, old Indian stuff, pottery and garments and knives and arrowheads. On he made a fortune doing it. Ten years ago, they told Forrest he was had terminal cancer. So Forrest got this elaborate box and put a million dollars in gold in this box. And. Uh, <laughs> and he buried it in the Rocky Mountains, or put it in the Rocky Mountains, and he wrote a, 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 a 24-line poem called The Thrill of the Chase. And he said, all the clues are in this poem, and if you'll follow my clues, you're going to get a million bucks. Three hundred Over 325,000 people have tried to find Forrest Finn's treasure. He's been sued multiple times because people quit their jobs and couldn't find it. There were even people that died from exposure trying to find Forrest box. But last week, a man that Forrest just said is from somewhere back east sent him a picture and said, thank you, Mr. Finn, I found your box, and here's the picture. And Forrest is still alive. And this is what he wrote on his website. I thank every one of you that participated in the chase. All I'm hoping is you have not forgotten the thrill of trying to find something new and exciting in your life. And that's my appeal to you today on Father's Day. Keep that thrill of getting closer to him alive in your life. And don't let the chase stop. Don't let it stop. We stand. We'll do it a little different here. If you're a father, would you please come up here? You can keep your distance. I, I'm cool with that. If you're a grandfather, great grandfather, would you come? If if you believe in your heart that one day you're gonna be a father, I'd like you to come. I'd like you to come up here. I, I want to pray over you. I want to pray over you. And every, every wife, every uh, every spouse, uh, every girlfriend, you, you should be praying with me when we do this prayer. In Jesus' name. Bow your head with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I, I was so blessed to have an amazing dad. This is the first Father's Day I've ever had that my daddy wasn't here to hear me preach. But it doesn't negate nor diminish the amazing life that he lived in front of me. I'm asking you to help me right now to inspire these men to understand that as long as they're breathing, the life lessons that they can instill
2: and put in someone's heart are so powerful. And I'm asking you, Lord, right now to be with these men. I, I don't care if, if their hair's black or brown. I don't care if it's straight or curly. I, I don't care if it's gray or non-existent. I, I'm asking you, Lord, that you would inspire every one of the men in this place today to be godly men. And in that Bible, they didn't care about their checkbook balance. They didn't care about their pedigree. They said, find me seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. I'm asking you, God, to let this church be populated with spirit-filled men, men that have got godly wisdom and understanding. Help us learn to see it, to figure it out, to understand what's priority and what's corollary, to understand what matters and what really doesn't matter at all. Great.
0: Own institution, and there's only been two father-son teams that have ever been in the White House, both of the Bushes, John Adams and John Quincy Adams. They had the journals, very common in that culture to do it, they had the journals of John Adams and John Quincy Adams. Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin were in Paris, and so they invited... John Adams (laughs) Adams was so brilliant he had a French book but he had the English translation of that French book and on the three month journey over he taught himself how to speak French just with those books amazing he's there for a couple years and he finally asked his wife send John Quincy over to be with me hadn't been around his family for almost two years In the journal of John Adams, when he was in Paris, it it said that it was opened to this page. And it said, I went fishing with my boy today. I didn't get anything done. It was a wasted day. But in the boy's journal, it said, went fishing with my dad today. It was the greatest day of my life. That's when I realized what quality time really was. We as parents don't get to decide what's quality time, them kids will, and they'll know if it's really good or not, build some quality memories with your family, and now I'm going to release you to go get bag of chips, wow, what a church. No one is going to give you that many options. (laughs) Happy Father's Day, gentlemen. I've been privileged to be called pastor of this church for 32 years. I've never been prouder of a group of men than I am right now. I love you, and I thank you for all of your sacrifices. Go enjoy the day. God bless you.